Welcome to Using Your Power. I'm David Andrew Weeb, and joining me, as always, is... I'm Maveen Cora. Well, how are you doing, Maveen? I'm doing very well, David. How are you? I'm good, thanks. We're back with another episode, and we thought we would close another open loop that we created in the previous episode, which was about buying a home. It's a pretty interesting subject, and I think there's more to it than maybe most people would assume. So why don't we get into it? Absolutely. Um... A good good place to start is understanding maybe why you want to buy a home. Yeah, why would you why would you want to buy a home? I think for a lot of people it comes up when their family is growing. So when a couple chooses to have a baby, and then they decide they want to move out of that little basement suite they're in, and and have a separate room for their baby. I think that's an often a very common point at which you make the decision to buy a home for a lot of people. Absolutely. And it's definitely the experience, right? I mean, a lot of people also rent in this market as well. And, um, you know, they could rent the whole home, the basement uh, suites as well, like you said. Um, And they can even rent condos. And, you know, buying a home allows you to buy the condos uh, or even a trailer potentially, right? It really depends on what you want your lifestyle to be and uh, how you see that for yourself. Well, I think that's, uh, you mentioned a keyword there, which was lifestyle. I think for, for many people, it's also a lifestyle decision. How would I like to live? And a house is often part of that decision because the size of the home, how it's set up, would you want to run a business out of your home? Would you want to run a studio out of your home? Would you like to do, like, uh, I guess your wife is interested in doing Mav with the work working out or like, a, I guess, a gym yeah, type definitely. setup? Yeah, it's depending. So those kinds of, maybe your hobbies, your interests in your business also kind of play into what kind of home would I want to live in? Absolutely. That and the area you want your home to be in, uh, you know, community makes a big difference. You know, are there schools available for, you know, if you have kids or don't have kids at the time? There's so many different factors that really do go into purchasing a home. Yeah, tons. <laughs> when it comes right down to it, like me, why would I want to buy a home? Well, it's obvious. I <laughs> I don't want to continue to record podcasts in this little basement room. That's also my bedroom. <laughs> hey, you know what? It, it's worked for you, David. I know for yes, sure. It has. You know, sometimes being in a rental location for the short term, short term, let me fix my uh, wordings. That's another one we're going to add to the dictionary short, there. Short term. Yeah, short term. <laughs> uh, I think for the short term there, you know, it's never a bad thing, right? As long long as you're able to start putting money away and, and, and you're finding something that you really want in the area you want uh, to be in in the future, right? Uh, it is a calculated step that you have to take when you yeah. buy a home. So it is a, it's not something that most people go out on a whim and just go, you know, throw a whole bunch of money down on the first day they see a home, right? It, it does take a lot of thinking and putting a plan together before you, you know, finally have that uh, great day when you first move into your brand new place. Yeah, exactly. And there have been a lot of great benefits to being here and it you know like you said it does work for me i'm looking to i mean looking forward to having a place in which there is some natural sunlight and <laughs> i can separate my office from my bedroom but you know there is some certain efficiencies to that as well you wake up you're right next to your workspace and so guess what you can go to work right away if that's what you want to do well the nice thing is too you might get up in the middle of the night and you might have this inspirational thought and you need to start recording yeah. and i mean it's right in your room right now and and you can start doing that right away i know i've uh connected with uh, a fellow 
podcaster uh, Donald Kelly at the Sales Evangelist, mm. and uh, he uses his uh, bedroom closet from when I spoke to him at that time as his uh, recording studio, right? So the nice thing about uh, having a recording studio uh, part of your business, it doesn't have to have its own room. I mean, obviously, nope. it's great to have its own room if you can, but there are many you know positive things that come out of having it in your bedroom too. There are also, you might not know this, there's also good acoustic reasons to have recording in your in your uh, closet because if you have clothing hung up in there it acts as an absorption so the sound you it reduces the sound reflections and makes it easier to record your voice and that's usually what us podcasts try to do is eliminate as much background noise as possible and just keep the focus on the voices almost as if we were in a you know radio studio or something like that that's actually very cool, man. I never actually knew that before, so yeah. you've actually taught me something uh, something different. I, I, some people who wrote, record from home, so I know rappers that actually prefer bathrooms because there's certain acoustic effect to bathrooms as well. They're a little more reflective. But then, you know, it, <laughs> these are the kind of things you learn as a home recordist. Absolutely. So, so, well, it's always in your basement, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, a bathroom is not necessarily in your basement. <laughs> you know, you're right, though. Like any recording that I've done in the last few years has always been in a basement of sorts, even when my, I owned my own home. The recording studio was in the basement so there you go well it's interesting you said uh you know having your home studio i myself have set that up in a in a bedroom that will eventually be for one of my kids uh but right now it's set up as a home office and yeah. you know that's what we're using right now it is a separate room uh in the home uh you know we've had the blessing to be able to purchase a four bedroom home that was part of the reason you know like you mentioned my wife wanted to get uh, is getting into uh, you know being a personal trainer that's part of it was to have that gym set up and part of it was we wanted to be able to have that home office as well kind of separated i know we're at two different places in our life right now and yeah and you know that's kind of a neat place to come from in uh, conversation as well because our experiences are very different i've actually sold homes as well uh which you know and that's how i met you again yeah. uh you know and and we've had the opportunity to go i've had the opportunity to go through the process with clients and i've had the opportunity to go through the process as a home bi- you know, a buyer as well, you know, and, and, uh, you've had the same, uh, type of experiences as well, uh, on the purchasing side. Yeah, for sure. Part of it is that I probably could leverage myself and buy a home. That's just not something that I, I want to do. I'm very conservative now with my finances and it, it, and to an extent, it is something that I learned from network marketing. How I handle my finances now is not very different than the values I was taught. So part of that is, Maybe it's not the best decision or the worst decision for depending on who you are and what your goals are. For me, I don't think like buying a house is really the best decision for me right now because it just adds a lot to my plate to worry about. Absolutely. You know, it does depend, David, on your circumstances right now everybody is in different places uh in their life and some people may are that are listening to our show maybe already own a home and i'm sure many do yeah and then potentially they're looking for a second home a rental home uh maybe even a cottage right so everybody's at different places and you know some people don't want to own a home and they rather just travel around the world right and not be tied to any one location because truthfully you know why do we live in calgary you know our parents decided to move here And uh, we've kind of chosen to stay in the same, you know, community as they decided to move. But you've traveled and I've traveled. And, you know, there's a lot of places that I've found that I wouldn't mind moving to tomorrow if I could. (laughs) Well, absolutely. I I don't know if it's this whole thing of 
Well, for one thing, it's probably a little bit tricky to move, right? Sometimes it's more effort and more money and more resources and more time than maybe we're willing to give at any one point. But then uprooting to and moving to another place also could mean a change in profession or having to find new jobs. Or in the case, like if you moved outside of Canada, then you might have to get some kind of work visa or other documentation in order to work in, in countries outside the one you're in. If you're doing it primarily online like I am, I guess you could be a little bit more mobile. Uh, that <laughs> that isn't necessarily, I've found that's not necessarily a reason to be mobile, but it, it, it maybe it provides a bit of an excuse for, for me to be able to have that freedom in a sense. You know, David, I can't wait for the day that we get to sit on a beach and record because uh, we'll just be able to do that for a few minutes and uh, maybe an hour, half an hour show, whatever we decide to do there. And then we can go back out and enjoy the beach. So, yeah, because that does give us that mobile freedom uh, that ha- being an entrepreneur should give you you know what i mean so uh but part of that is you know making the right choices before and after wow that's a huge point even when it comes to buying a home making the right choices considering your circumstances your financial capacity i think one of the things that a lot of people leave out in making this massive financial decision it's considering what the implications are over the next 20, 30, 40 years. What are the common mortgage terms, Maveen? Um, I've seen typically 25 to 30 years. 25 to 30 years. Basically, what you're saying is you can pay that for the next 25. You're guaranteeing, you're giving your word saying, I can pay that $1,000 or $2,000 a month or whatever it is for the next 25 to 30 years. That's the actual commitment that you're making to the bank and you're making the bank much, much richer in the process. Well, absolutely. Especially when you're paying a, you know, a low interest rate on a home, sometimes two, three, four percent depending on your financial circumstances yeah. could be higher but you know let's go with you know about the average out there you know it's prime plus or prime minus uh you know something um but it does give you the option to have that flexibility to make those monthly payments now the banks do uh you know, allow you to put an additional 20 percent payment down too. now again depending we're talking from canada here our u.s listeners or worldwide listeners may have something a little bit different that they experience with um their banking system, but it's very similar if you look at the the whole picture. So what you're saying is there's oftentimes a limit to the down payment you can make? Well, the down payment as well as the monthly payments as well, oh. right? You, you down payment, uh, at least in Calgary, Canada, where we are, you can do up to 20%, um, you know, and as low as 5%. What if you wanted to make a larger down payment? You still could, absolutely. But mm. most people, you know, on a say, for example, on a six hundred thousand dollar home, don't have a hundred and twenty thousand plus laying around that they can throw on a home. Gotcha. So why don't we talk a little bit about the benefits that a home offers? Why would you buy a home? Which is kind of similar to the question you asked earlier, but now let's look at it from the perspective of what benefits does it offer you? that you would be interested in buying a home? Well, absolutely. You know, my first experience on on, uh, buying a home actually was when I was a little kid. Now, I didn't buy that home when I was a little (laughs) kid. I wish I could have. It was your parents? It was my parents. You know, my, my, it was in the, um, in in the late 70s, turning into the 80s. My, you know, my parents were brand new from India. They bought a home and they had actually bought a second home. And the second home they actually had bought was for a rental. 
So they can rent that out and make some extra money, right? And there are options uh, on doing that. And a lot of people uh, do do that today, right? So if you look at people like uh, Robert Kiyosaki talks about that in his book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, mm. right? And having those, you know, rentals and, uh, and uh, money-making uh, ventures. Right. And that, you know, that's like one of the reasons why I guess people will buy a home if, is if they're comf- if they're used to having a home in the first place. So a person that goes from selling a home is maybe less inclined to move into an apartment or a condo and will move to another home. Or maybe immigrants coming from another country would first see if a home is something that they could afford here in Calgary. Absolutely. You know, most people, I think when they do come over from anywhere, uh, you know, they typically end up in a rental situation. Uh, I believe there are rules that uh, even if you're new to the country, you have to still follow. You have to be in the country for a certain amount of time. Right. You still, you know, even if you're putting a 20% down payment, you know, the money has to be shown where it's coming from. And, you know, just all the other logistics that the banks require, which, you know, kind of makes sense. You know, they don't want you uh, taking money that you've laundered and buying homes and stuff. So they're protecting themselves. Right. But, uh, you know, just like I was saying, so when when I had that first experience, my parents had that home. But during the 80s, there was a recession and, you know, they lost their home. And uh, in about 92 or so, we moved to Calgary. And the first thing we did was rent a home. You know, when you came from Japan, what was the first thing your parents did? Do you remember? Yeah. Well, when we came back from Japan, my dad had already passed away. So it was just my mom. My mom decided that we could stay or figured out that we could stay in Barhead with her parents for a couple of months and we'd finish school, so to speak. Really, my sister and I, the way the school system works in Japan is the spring is the beginning of the school year and the end of the school year instead of the summer being the beginning and the end of the school year here. Very interesting. Here in North America or Canada. Yeah. So my sister and I had already kind of finished our grades, but but we you know we went back a grade for a couple of months. So I'd finished grade eight, and I took grade eight for a couple of months again in Canada, just to acclimate is the basic idea. Then over the course of the summer, my mom did, made a decision about where to go, and I think she was just debating between Edmonton or Calgary, and Calgary is what we landed on. So we because of my dad passing away, we did have an inheritance of sorts. And so my my mom did buy a house at that point. Uh, and I guess it makes sense, too, because she was looking to run a bed and breakfast. Ah, very cool. Yeah. And that's another type of business that you can run uh, with a home. Exactly. So in addition to myself and my sister each having separate rooms and my mom having a separate room, it was the kind of house where we had a lot of other rooms so we could rent it out to people or just have bed and breakfast guests, especially during the summer when stampede's happening. Oh, Excellent. Yeah, so that's probably my first experience. Well, I don't know if it's my first experience with my parents buying buying a home. You know, when I was first born, I'm pretty sure I was in a home in, in Camrose. I don't actually know what the exact situation was, though, because right. I was still very young. So we, I only lived there until I was five years old, and I turned six shortly after moving to Japan. And in Japan, we were in apartments for quite a while until my dad finally did rent uh, I guess he rented a home when I was in grade four. And then we stayed in that home until I was in grade eight, basically. 
Right. You know, that makes sense, uh, what you just said here. You said uh, you had lived in an apartment, and the funny thing is nowadays uh, the apartments are just now called condominiums, and now they uh, just <laughs> charge you uh, f- condo fees uh, to live in an apartment. So it's a pretty interesting how that transitions also happened in the home industry. Um, just kind of made me think about that and uh, kind of laugh at it too, right? So Because uh, I've lived in apartments too growing up, and, you know, they were a great option, right? Yeah, you have a lot of people who have the very similar lifestyles you know maybe a little bit lower wages potentially you know just maybe uh, new to the country potentially again um, that was at least my situation with my parents you know and it was a really good option you know to kind of keep that rent low and uh, live in a in an area where you have just hundreds of people kind of crammed into one place right uh so it's a very interesting that you said that too yeah and let's not necessarily compare the apartments that we have here to the ones in japan because <laughs> the one we were living in wasn't a whole lot bigger than this room a bit oh, wow. a bit bigger okay and just for some uh, visual we're probably in about a 10 by I don't know, 13 size room, I'd say about 130 like square feet. Yeah, it's a here. nice big, deep closet too, but yeah, it's not massive. No, it's a big room. As far as just room bedrooms go, it's probably bigger than what a lot of people have, but absolutely. But just to give some perspective to our listeners, cause I mean, they're not in the room right no. now. They can't really see what we're sitting in here. So it does give them a, a good, an idea of what uh, a room in Japan looks like and that's you know for for what i'm seeing right now david that's pretty interesting that you know i was living in a castle i guess in my apartment (laughs) (laughs) most likely like there's two bedrooms there's a living room there's a kitchen and there's a bathroom they still had all those things but they were pretty small in japan well they are efficient so for what i understand about the japanese people so kind of makes sense yeah very much so but yeah, I guess what what you said earlier too about you know living in an apartment first and then moving into home. That's pretty much exactly the progression that we took at that point. So that might also be telling because my dad was a professor at a Bible college when in Canada when I was growing up. So I'm sure that pays a ton, right? Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> does. It's uh, <laughs> it uh, it fills up the bank account quick. Oh man, yeah, the money just comes rolling in when you're a Bible <laughs> professor. <laughs> Go and do that, people. <laughs> no. uh, yeah. Get some other advice if you can. Yeah, definitely. Get, <laughs> consult a professional if at all possible on <laughs> your financial future. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so those are some interesting considerations of buying a home. You know, Robert Kiyosaki, you, you brought him up earlier. And one of the things that he says, and to a large part, I do agree with him. Although I think we can definitely offer a balanced perspective if we were so inclined is that a house is not an asset. It's not an investment vehicle, right? Or at least it's not a very good investment vehicle. What do you think? Uh, yeah, depending definitely on how you look at your house, right? I mean, your house, you are paying interest on it, like we said earlier. And, you know, uh, over the years that it takes to pay off the house, uh, in most cases, you've probably almost paid double what you bought the house for, yeah. right? Because the interest is compounded and, and you're paying for it. And most people don't put down that 20%, at least in my viewpoint, for what I've seen in the home industry working there. Uh, also, when I was working at the bank, same thing, right? You know, you don't see people having that 20% sitting in there so they can make those larger payments. They're still paying additional home mortgage fees on top of that as well because no. they're not putting that 20% down. So they have to buy insurance on the home payment. Uh, which I find is an interesting thing too. But, uh, you know, 
if you can put down that 20% and uh, really bring down that payment as well as the amount of interest you're going to be paying on that home, it can, it can definitely be a great value. But, you know, if you're not able to do that because, you know, for any reason you're not able to make those payments and, and put that 20% down, uh, over time, I don't think that home is a great asset. Yeah. I'm wondering because there's just so many people out there that look at the purchase of a home as some kind of investment, right? And I feel like it it really isn't a great investment vehicle. Maybe even like a mutual fund would be a better investment opportunity than a home potentially because even if you sell it for more than you bought it for, which is common, the you're if you're just going to buy another home aren't you buying another more expensive home typically yeah you know you're 100% right there uh david the funny thing is um you get a mortgage and do you know what mortgage means yeah i do it's it's actually mort engage which means death grip absolutely so you have a death grip on yourself for 25 years or potentially 30 years because most people don't have a plan uh to pay off that home faster Yes. You know, um, myself and my wife, we've decided to put an extra 20% towards our monthly, or in this case, biweekly payments. So, you know, we can drive our mortgage down from 25 years, and I believe now it's about 18 years just by, you know, making that small payment change. So what you're saying is if, if you're willing and able, you can actually pay down your mortgage faster Absolutely. It's in your benefit, right? And that's when, you know, although you don't own your home quite yet, you know, miss a payment and see uh, who owns that uh, home that you live in. Uh, You know, the bank does still until you pay it off, right? Um, But if you're able to make those extra payments and you can actually go to your financial advisor and typically they'll show you exactly if you put down, you know, an extra 20% or an extra $500, even a hundred bucks a month, you know, what that actually means for you, whatever you can afford, right? Um, it, they'll actually show you the numbers and work out the math for you. It's really easy. Uh, typically just a mortgage calculator will do that for you, right? Doesn't that mean you'd have to make a ton of extra money though, if you wanted to put more money towards your mortgage, or is that just a matter of planning it out in advance and looking at your finances and going, okay, I'm making this much money per month. I actually need to make this much money per month and make an additional 20% mortgage payment. Uh, Great question, David. One of the things I know is when I was working in in the uh, home industry as well as the banking industry, the banks don't typically allow you to overextend yourself. Now, Uh, that's a different story. Uh, You know, back in 08, as we all know, we had the financial crash. Subprime lending. Absolutely. And we can see that in the movie, The Big Short, that, you know, there was a lot of things going on where people were, you know, putting next to nothing down, buying these homes you know, or qualifying for homes that they absolutely, there was no way they could even pay these homes off. Uh, And a lot of people were doing that. And, you know, that's why we had the market crash and, you know, 08, 09 there. And, uh, and a fallout again, I think now with oil kind of being the same idea, a couple, even about three years ago now. Why does something like that happen? Do you think like, weren't we smart like doesn't hadn't somebody figured out that this was coming in advanced of of the major meltdown that we went through in 2008 uh it's a good question david i know one of the things we can get (laughs) into is a huge discussion on you know the interests of banks and insurance companies and uh 
uh, and whatnot, and oil companies and governments. There's a huge, a lot of different people who have invested interests in this, right? Mm. Um, one of the ways, you know, if you want to control people, and maybe this is getting off topic a little bit, but if you want to control people, it is really that word, mort gauge, death mm. grip. Have a grip on people so they can't make decisions for themselves. And what happens is then the government starts passing laws and you're too busy trying to make a living and, you know, trying to live fist to fist and hand to mouth sometimes, you know, and you don't got time to pay attention. So these things start happening and, and it is a way for companies to, you know, take your money, right? Same thing as you mentioned, mutual funds earlier could be a great investment. Absolutely, right? But the thing is, anything you put your money into that you don't control the outcome of, you know, you get to, you know, go through the ups and downs with that change in the market. Very interesting. <laughs> and I think as we've seen in the big short, yes, there probably were people who knew in advance and even capitalized on <laughs> the subprime lending just because other people or other banks and financial institutions were naive and didn't think that there could be a major collapse. But a lot of people kind of saw the impending doom and what was going to happen. So that's pretty interesting as well. And I totally agree. I think, you know, you have control over where your money goes. And the first thing that somebody at a bank tells you to invest your money into may not be the best investment vehicle. Absolutely. You know, one of the things uh, you just said to, you know, um, the, the banks and, and these companies really are looking out for themselves and you have to look out for yourself. So when you're, you know, being told, you know, invest your money here or invest your money in mutual funds or a GIC or a, a 401k for the US friends here, you know, wherever you invest your money, understand why you're putting your money in there. And uh, I know part of buying a home, for example, uh, when I was younger in my teens, you know, I started uh, putting some money away into RSPs or 401k um, and you were told that you can actually take that money out and use it to buy your first home hmm. you know but with the catch that you have to put money back into the RSP within a given amount of time now those options are great but if you don't have the ability to put money back into your RSP then you're gonna be penalized by the the banks you know so at that time it was pretty interesting that you know, if you can't even afford to buy a home with that 20% or more, you know, how are you possibly going to put that money back if you're only putting down 5% in some cases? Does that option still exist these days? You know what? I have to look into it. I, I'm not 100% sure. Hmm. Uh, I mean, that was from uh, probably about 10 years, 12 years ago now. But I think there are still options similar to that. And for our U.S. friends, RSP, would that be like 401k? Absolutely. Yeah, same idea, basically. Very interesting. So there are really different ways of buying a home or really kind of problem solving. Maybe you could borrow, maybe credit. Like the option you just described was taking from your RSP and putting it into home. Banks are good at problem solving, although, it, <laughs> again, in that for way, their benefit, exactly, it might be because they have interest in trying to sell you a, a product that they make a lot of money on, and, and as we know, a mortgage would be something that they probably make a ton of money on, and that's why you know I don't necessarily believe in making making banks richer, but. Well, the funny thing is, you said you, you hit on something that made me think of you know try to pay off your mortgage faster. 
Yeah. You know, you'll actually be penalized to pay off your mortgage faster. Is that right? Absolutely. Because if you pay off your mortgage too fast, you know, if you want to, because they allow you to put a certain amount of money down. So instead of my extra, extra 20%, if I want to do 30%, I'm not allowed to. Hmm. Now, be, the reason is they've calculated how much money they're going to make on you in that 25-year mortgage. Now, if you win the lottery, let's say by chance, and you want to pay off your mortgage, hey, if you win the lottery, you win $50 million, you may not care about the interest. But if you come into some money, maybe through an inheritance, and you want to put some extra money down, if it's over the allowed amount, then typically you're going to get penalized. You know, especially if you're trying to pay off that house and you don't want to have any more interest because they've calculated how much money they're going to make and how much they're going to make after they lend it out. So you're trying to do them a favor by ensuring that you're actually going to pay off the total amount of the mortgage and now they're penalizing you for giving them more money earlier. Yeah. Or paying <laughs> off that mortgage, right? Because think about, like we said earlier, if you're making on, let's say, you know, on a $600,000 home, let's say the interest they make is, oh, I don't know, uh, 200000 as an example. It, you know, if a bank can take your interest and then lend that interest out before they get it, because it's, you know, uh, it's money they're getting, um, they're lending out 20 times that money. You know, now you've paid it off. They don't actually have that money in the in their back pocket, so you've actually put them in a hard place. Hmm. So you know, it's and it's an interesting thing I find. And maybe it's very similar to the way credit cards work, which is minimum payments. Why do minimum payments exist? <laughs> I think they're calculating the fact that we're not going to be paying back that money right away. So making a trickle of money coming in is better for them than you paying it all off at once, right? Absolutely. And I think you hit it on I hit it there, right? So if people are only making minimum payments, typically, you know, you may find that those people maybe they do own a home and they have bought a home, but they might be having a tough time making those payments and keeping up with their bills because now they have this, you know, the home is probably your largest monthly payment yes right so um you know if you're only making your minimum payment you're probably not necessarily in the best place now there might be a strategic reason you do these things absolutely you know it could be an accounting thing uh that your accountant says that you need to do this uh in order to i don't know uh, benefit somehow on your taxes but uh in majority of the people i think you know they're they're like i said earlier are living hand to mouth out there because not understanding what buying a house really means and the responsibilities it comes with so let me get this straight. The bank actually makes an assessment of you based on the last five, maybe 10 years of your financial history, makes a recommendation for you. And you're saying that there's still a lot of people that are not prepared to buy a home? I believe so. You know, wow. just from what I've seen, I worked at a bank for six years. I sold uh, homes for two years. Uh, you know, uh, it's interesting what you get to see on a daily basis, right? I mean, I can get into stories of people coming into the banks and wanting money that are well older than me. And, and you know, my heart went out to them. You know, these old la older ladies would come in come at the end of each month wanting their uh, wanting their monthly checks, you know, and their social security and old age pension. And uh, because it was one day too early, they'd come in, they had no more money in the bank. You know, it was a very interesting, interesting to see where potentially their decisions had taken them, right? So having a plan to buy a house is huge. Right. And I think it's also a lesson in the sense that 
your past is not very, it's not a very good predictor of your future income. Absolutely not. And, and you said it perfectly. You know, when I bought my home, I had a job. And uh, right now, I don't. Right. So, you know, that income that it's being calculated on is past income, which I don't have anymore. Mm. Right. I have different income. And that's something that can happen to just about anyone, right? Absolutely. Even if you love your job, perhaps you could be let go of. And we, there's evidence to suggest that I think something like eight to nine career transitions happen in a lifetime. I know for a fact, Naveen, that you've been in sales a lot, but even within sales, you've had many multiple jobs to this point. Absolutely. And I think in the, we were calculating before we started talking here on uh, episode <laughs> three, that in the last five years, uh, you know, I've had five different career paths and uh, all being in sales and very interesting you know um, one of the things I've always tried to do in is try to take something from each job and learn something that I could apply back to my real life you know if I can say it that way um, you know but and one of the things was buying a home because I did mm-hmm. work for a home builder I did work for a bank I did work for an insurance company you know all those things are typically knowledge in those areas are good to have if you're about to buy a home but how is this possible like isn't the company supposed to take care of you give you a raise every year give you a golden pen at the when you're near retirement age like aren't you supposed to have this lifelong secure career that brings you to the point where you can afford a home is not how it works in most cases, you would think that, wouldn't you? But like you said, if you're going to you know, have seven, eight career paths, and I've had five in five years, uh, you know, I think those times have definitely changed. But uh, this, the, what we're being preached to is consistently stayed the same. Mm. You know, go to school, get a good job, buy a home or whatnot, right? That's kind of starting yeah. family. You know, those are the same things that they've been preaching since the 30s, the 40s. Again, in the industrial revolution, you know, now when you're looking at the technology revolution, things have changed. And, you know, our decisions before we buy a home and after we buy a home have to be calculated decisions, I think. Makes sense. So you got to plan well. Absolutely. And, you know, if you have an interruption in income, that could be problem. That could be difficult to get over because now you are still owing that money. But if you have no money coming in, you're unable to pay it unless you have savings or investments or other things. And then even that is going to dry up at some point. Absolutely. No. Now, I know from our conversations we've had, David, uh, you know, we've talked extensively about buying a home or renting, you know, yep. in, in your situation and in my situation. Um, why don't we go through a little scenario here? Let's change it up a little bit. Great and idea. Let's see what steps you would take when it comes at, to the right time on buying a home. What are the steps I would take? Yeah. I think the way I view home ownership now is that I would put as little burden on myself as possible. So option A or option number one would be to save up enough money to pay for the home outright. So that, you're saying you would want to pay 100% of the value of the home up front. That's right. Okay. And how many people do that typically, David? Probably a very small percentage. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you, you're a go-getter, and I know that's your plan, and, and I know what your plan is, so I know for you it's definitely doable. Mm. Uh, but I just want to make clear that not everybody out there is able to do that. Definitely. I think it's it's a hard thing for just about anybody to accomplish. 
I, you know, I, there's costs associated with the home, even if not for the mortgage. And that's what I'm looking at because I remember all the crazy costs. There was taxes, there was utilities. And if that wasn't enough, then you had broken utilities in your home that you had to replace. That's what I'm looking at from experience, from having, I didn't talk much about that in this episode, but from having owned a home for about nine years, that's what I learned. I didn't like having all that pressure and all, all that outgo. I didn't want three, four, five grand flying out of my bank account every month. That was that was a decision that I had to make for myself. So, uh, but that's just option A. I think option B was to pay as much as possible upfront. Maybe not a hundred percent, but have a very short term mortgage so that it would be easy for me to stick to the plan and pay it off sooner rather than later. Absolutely. And there's, I think, benefits as well, not putting 100% down on a home, because uh, that money obviously can be used potentially in different business ventures yeah. as well, right? So it is a calculated uh, decision on how much money you want to put down again as well. Yeah. And I'd say there's one other plausible alternative for me, which is plan C, saving up more than enough money to where having a mortgage is not a big deal. So maybe I could reduce it up front with a massive down payment. And then I would feel secure knowing that even if I have to pay the mortgage for the next 5, 10, 15 years or whatever, I've got more than enough money saved to where that's not a problem. So that's kind of a distant option C. Absolutely. And, and, you know, like we were saying, there, there's ways that your accountant, when you start getting accounting and financing, they may suggest that, that, you know, mm. you, you take those expenses and, and use them as write-offs potentially for your business, you know, because you have a home-based business and it might be a great idea at this point, right? So there are so many things right. you have to consider. And like you said, life changes. And as those changes happen, you have to keep reviewing your plan and how you continue to plan to make those payments on your home. Or if there's no stress on it, hey, you know what? doesn't matter. If this changes today, no problem. I have it for tomorrow, right? So you really, it is a good idea I think you have there. Yeah. And I guess one other consideration that which is kind of off the radar right now, but totally plausible in the future, which is that I marry and then we make the decision together to buy a home. Hopefully I've fulfilled one of ABC at that point or between the two of us, it's easily manageable. Absolutely. And I think you, you hit on something that's so important, you know, buying a house is a, a joint decision. It's not, mm. you know, especially if you're with somebody, if you're not with somebody, absolutely. It still should be a joint decision, uh, perhaps with yourself and somebody you talk to, you know, not just your finance guy at the bank, right? Talk to, talk to some friends and really find out from people who've owned a home, what it really means and takes to own a home, right? Um, like they say, other people's experience is the, the best experience, mm. you know, and other people's lack of experience can still be a good good uh, learning point as well. Definitely. Well, this is a deep topic. I feel like I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have as well. Absolutely. I, I know I can keep going on this topic. I, uh, I have tons of knowledge in this, right? That's Which awesome. We can definitely uh, use on a different uh, episode here. Awesome. Yeah, maybe we should do another part to this whole thing about buying a home. I think what, what we can close by saying is it's a decision you have to make with responsibility. <laughs> Having some kind of long-term plan in mind, not just the next year, but thinking about if you have a 25, 30-year mortgage, as most people will, what are you going to do? 
how are you going to manage those payments? What about unexpected expenses? What about taxes and utilities? What about things breaking down? There's a lot of things to think about. Absolutely. You know, uh, buying a home is probably the, the most expensive decision you'll probably ever make other than maybe divorce. <laughs> wow. Uh, but, you know, it is a pretty expensive decision and understanding how you're going to accomplish paying off your home. You're right. The job market is not always, um, you know, going to provide even right. being an entrepreneur. You know, if you if you have your own small business and you're not creating the type of income you need, you know, that can also because those f- incomes also fluctuate. Right. So really understanding what kind of money you need, what kind of savings plan you need in, in the back end as well, uh, you know, makes a big difference on when you buy your home. Um, so that's kind of the thoughts I would have as well. Yeah, great. That's a very fair point. So as usual, we're obligated to say that we are not financial accountants. And Absolutely not. We, we can't g- give you advice as far as whether to buy a home, whether to not to buy a home. But I think it's something that you need to think about when you're choosing to use your power. So check us out online at usingyourpower.com.